guests. So glad to have you here with us. Have you ever been in a position where you tried to help somebody out and you could tell they really needed some help? They were struggling. They were trying to carry too much. They were trying to do too much and stuff was falling apart. Stuff was happening uh, and you know they needed some help, but their attitude was, no, I got this. I got this. Leave me alone. I got it. There was a sense of independence I got this. I got this. Some of, I'm preaching to some of y'all right now already. You know, I've seen this with my children. Uh, at times with my children, they, they think they can do certain things on their own. And after we let them, the kitchen is covered in milk. This happened this past week. I got to practice what I preached on last week about putting to death your sinful nature, right? All right. So I go home, and this week I get several opportunities to practice what I preach about here on Sunday mornings. And, and so one of those was my son is getting a bowl of cereal. He's getting a snack, so we didn't know he's getting a bowl of cereal. He's up on the counter. He's pouring it for him and his sister. And I walk in, and half a gallon of milk is dripping off the counter, down the cabinets, all over the kitchen. And I'm just, like, trying to get control, like, trying to keep a poker face on my face, not not get upset, like, don't cry over spilled milk is what I'm thinking <laughs> inside, you know, <laughs> it's okay. It's going to get cleaned up. This is, this is a frustration right now, but it's, we're going to get past this, right? So anyways, I, I didn't do the best job being the most gracious and patient and kind. But anyways, we, we are just like that so often as Christians. We're just like my children are, just, just like those, those friends or coworkers we've seen trying to juggle so much in our job and in our life and, and with the spirit of independence. I got this. I, I can do this. I know how to do this. I have the ability to do this. I have the training to do this. I have the discipline to do this, right? And God is like, I just want to help you, son, daughter. I want to help you. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would be our helper. And he helps us in this life. And we're not left to our own resources. We're not left to our own abilities. We're not left to our own intellect and our, and our own resources. We have God, the Holy Spirit, as Christians, living in us. He's with us, guiding us, directing us, helping us. And some of us just need to let him help you, us. Let him help you in your weakness. Amen? And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 for the next couple of weeks. This is arguably the greatest chapter in the Bible. This is a favorite chapter of mine. If I had one chapter in the Bible to choose from that I could have for the rest of my life, I would probably choose this one right here, Romans chapter 8. I don't want to... You compare, you know, uh, Romans 8 against the rest of Scripture. It's all good, and it's all good for us, and it, God's given us the whole sum of Scripture. But Romans 8 just describes the glorious Christian life that we have as Christians. Not just some in some distant, far away, by and by uh, future time, but now here in this life, we have life in the Spirit. And we're not left to live it here by ourselves. We have him with us. So Romans chapter 8, if you all would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Romans 8, starting in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So this is where we're going this morning from this text. And we're also going to look at Romans 8, 26 and 27 along with this. The Holy Spirit helps us Christians be who, we're, who we are made to be and to do what we are made to do. The Holy Spirit helps us Christians be who God has made us to be and do what he's called us to do. So how does he help us? We're going to look at five ways from this text, from Romans 8, ways that he helps us in. There's many more ways that we could talk about. But the first one is that the Holy Spirit helps us by leading us into holiness. Okay, let's just remember his, what, what he's called, what, what we, his name here. He's the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We sang this morning, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one, right? We believe that Christians for centuries, for hundreds of years, have believed that God is three persons in one. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you're Catholic, you do one of these when you're thinking about that or saying that, right? And so we have God with us. God with us. He's not just some distant deity out there in the universe. He came down. Jesus is Emmanuel. He came to be with us. He came and he brought the presence of God. And then Jesus, the Father sent Jesus. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, guys. I'm going. I'm going away. And the disciples, they were like, they were shaken up in John 14 and 15, 16. Uh, when Jesus says, I'm going to back to the Father. and You guys are going to be chilling here, right? And Jesus says, don't be troubled. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you to try to make this happen all by yourself. You don't have to do this in your own strength. My presence will be with you. My power will be with you. My spirit will be with you. And the Holy Spirit leads and influences and instructs all the children of God. Verse 14 says, for all who are led, for all who are led by the spirit of God, are sons of God. But notice the connection back with verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You see, the Holy Spirit leads us into holy living. Into godly, Christ-like living. He puts the spotlight on Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. And he works in our lives to conform us and shape us into the glorious image of Jesus Christ. And he does this as we behold the glory of God. As we behold God in his glory, the Spirit works in us, transforming us from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
And he brings freedom and he brings life. And that's what we talked about last week, how, how we have this new life in the spirit. We're set free from sin's dominion. We're delivered from it. We have life and peace. Now, in Christ Jesus and, and through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, we have the, the power and the presence of God residing within us. I quoted D.L. Moody, who said this, You might as well try to hear without ears or breathe without lungs as to try to live a Christian life without the Spirit of God in your hearts. Wow. It makes me wonder how many Christians are trying to live a godly, holy life in their own strength, in their own willpower, in their own discipline, setting boundaries and, 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 and having accountability uh, um, aspects of w- w- whether it's uh, the, the, the phone, you know, the, to, the filter, the Internet, or whether it's an accountability partner, a brother or sister. Those aren't bad things. But God wants to bring freedom to our hearts and our lives where we don't have to set up all these boundaries because we have the Spirit of God changing us from the inside out to where we don't want to do those things anymore. Amen? He changes us from the inside out. And so by the Spirit, we are to put to death the deeds of the body. We are to make war on sin. The Holy Spirit leads us to make war on sin. Some of us may need to stop trying to make war on people around us because we think they're the problem. Our roommate, our spouse, our children, our co-workers. And we, we think they're the problem. And in our minds, we get all worked up when God's like, you need to deal with your heart. You need to let me, son, daughter, let me change your heart. God wants to put to death that selfishness, that ungodliness, that greed, that lust, that, that anger, that impatience, that unkindness that lurks within our sinful nature. And we can only do that by the Spirit of God. We can't do that ourselves. And praise God, He hasn't left us to ourselves to try to do this. We have God, the Holy Spirit, leading us into holiness. One commentator says this, he says, for we must note carefully that a holy life is to be lived by us. It is not that we have any power. We have none. But God's spirit dwells in us for the express object of being called upon by us to put to death the doings of the body. Self-control is one of that sweet cluster called the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 20, 5.22. Uh, Galatians 5.22, it says, For all who are led for, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to know what it looks like to be led into holiness and have the fruit of it in your life, it's Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is the Spirit of God. When, those fr- when th- that fruit is coming forth from your life, you are being led by the Spirit of God. And there is evidence that bears witness that you're being led by the Spirit of God. Okay? Being led by the Spirit of God isn't, well, isn't merely, well, God told me to do this. God told me to do that. God told me to do this. And I believe God speaks to us and gives us promptings. And he does tell his people to lead his people. And whether it's a spouse to marry or whether it's a job to take or, or, or a church to go to or a friend, a relationship to have. I believe he leads us into the specific things of life. But more importantly, God puts us on this 
new trajectory as a Christian. Our life orientation is totally different when we become a Christian. So, so generally speaking, Christians are led by the Spirit in, in their trajectory of life. It's not all about them anymore. It's not all about money, power, and sex, or gold, girls, or guys, and glory, cash, cars, and cuties. It's not about the worldly things that's passing away. He changes our hearts. He changes our desires. And now it's centered on the love of God, the love of the Father, the kingdom of God, the will of God, loving people, blessing people. You see, all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And brother, sister, if you're not being led into holiness, then you should evaluate, am I really a child of God? I know that, that's, a, that's a strong word. I mean, you read First John, and actually, read First John. Just read First John, okay? And I'll just, I won't, I, I can defend that and try to clarify and unpack that more. That's a strong statement. But I'd, I'd prefer you just to just read First John if you have a problem with that statement. Okay, and, and this text here. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the Holy Spirit helps us by leading us into holiness. And let me just debunk a little bit. Holiness is not having a holier-than-thou attitude. It's not so much about the things that you don't do. Okay, but it's about the fruit that you possess. It's about the, the person whom you possess, God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling inside of you. And because of that, there are certain things you don't do. But, but because of that, there are a lot of things you do do. You do do <laughs> as Christians. As Christians. Because you love God. He's changed your heart. He's changed you from the inside out. So the Holy Spirit helps us by leading us into holiness. The Holy Spirit helps us to relate to God intimately as our father. Now I think this is going to strike a chord for somebody here today. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in the fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba Father. And let me just say this. When it says sons, ladies, you're, you're included in there. Okay. If us guys get to be a part of the bride of Christ... Okay, and biblically speaking, then ladies, it's okay for you to be a part of the sons, right? In Christ, the sons of God, right? Okay, so, so we didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit in our hearts causes us to relate to God as dad. To call him father. I mean, I have three kids, and I, I love it when, when they can freely come up to dad. Anytime. I don't always feel like I love it, right? But anytime, they can go to dad. Like last night, in the middle of the night, my three-year-old walks in the door, and we're asleep. Middle of the night. Daddy, can I sleep with you guys? How can I turn that down, Right? Although, you know, we get feet in the face and all kinds, you know, it gets uncomfortable. So that's, that's one reason why I might turn that down. But, but there's, this, there's this open door that my children have to come to me anytime because they're my children. They can sit in my lap. They can, they can interrupt conversations, although we teach them not to do so. We teach them to put their hand on us or just wait patiently until we're done, right? But there are their children. They have access to to my children. Have access to me. My children have access to my wife. 
for help, for, to talk about things, to talk about their day, to talk about the things that they're afraid of, the things that they're struggling with, the things that they need, and so on. And we have this times a billion with God. We have a good, good Father to go to. And Jesus, Jesus also taught us to pray like this. When you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so here we got both um, the, the, the Hebrew word for Father, Abba, and the Greek word for father, uh, I think it's patre, pat, padre, espanol. Okay. <laughs> okay. And in Galatians 6, 4, verse 6, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit into, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. For you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through, through God. And so I, I wanted to say this about the, the Greek and the Hebrew. So both Jews and Greeks, God has made the church a family compiled of Jews and Greeks or, or Jews and Gentiles. Okay. We got any Gentiles in the house? Okay. Let me just say, if you're not a, a Jewish person, you're a Gentile. Okay. Let me just say that. So you can all raise your hand. We got any Gentiles in the house? Okay. So you can call God Father. When somebody asks you, who's your daddy? God is my daddy. God is my daddy. And he's a good, good father. Now, I know many folks struggle with this concept because growing up, we didn't have a father who was present, a father who was loving, a father who was gracious, a father who was truthful, a father who thought about the interest of his family over his own. Many of us have some very deep, deep wounds around our father or lack of our father being there. And one of the things that happens for us Christians is God, Romans 5, 5, he pours out into our hearts the love of God by his spirit and he heals the depth of those wounds that we have concerning our father's. And while, while we may struggle and while we may at times feel like we go back to this, this fearful uh, orphan mentality, we don't have to live in that anymore. We can be free from thinking and living like orphans because we have a good, good father. We have a spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit. We're brought into the family. And this means you and I have great privileges. Amen? Uh, you know, just this week, I, or a couple, last week or two weeks ago, I was talking with a brother, dear brother who loves the Lord, and um, he's, just, he's just in a place of life. God's been really good to him and has granted some of his heart's desires, but he's like, he, he, was, he's, he had been in this time of striving, like, okay, he just finished this chapter of life, and now he's already thinking about the next, and he's just kind of striving, not being able to just sit back and rest in the grace and the blessing that God had bestowed upon him and his family in this season. And so I was just talking with him about that. We sat down and had coffee. And I told him after coffee, I said, man, quit thinking and living like an orphan. I just challenged him. I said, man, it seems like you're, you're thinking like an orphan. Like, like what I mean by that is got to make this happen. You see, orphans have to fend for themselves. I've heard stories about those who've adopted children out of really rough um, circumstances and stories about where 
we're at dinner time or, or at, in the house, children will, will stuff their pockets. They'll hide food. They'll hoard food in their, in their closet, in their room, because they have this mindset that I might not get another meal if I don't do this. If I don't fend for myself and make this happen. And it breaks the parents' loving parents' hearts who see that, that they don't have to live like that anymore because they're in a loving family. And we, children of God, we saints are in a loving family and God graciously provides for us. Because we're adopted as sons and daughters in his family, we have full rights as children. We can go to the fridge and get a snack because we're part of the family of God, right? We have all the legal rights. Um, Let me just read some commentary on this. Adoption is another legal term. Like justification, it indicates the legal bestowal of a legal standing. Both adoption and justification result in a permanent condition. And both rests on the love and the grace of God. Adoption is a gospel thing that flows from the heart of God. Another Douglas Moo, another commentator, says, Paul could hardly have chosen a better term than adoption to characterize this peace and security. The word denoted that the, the Greek, and particularly Roman legal institution, whereby one can adopt a child and confer on that child all the legal rights and privileges that would ordinarily occur to a natural child. However, while the institution is a Greco-Roman one, the underlying concept is rooted in the Old Testament and Judaism, God's adoption of Israel. Adoption is a gospel thing. I love to see families who have stepped out the in this, in, in the natural, and they've, they've adopted children, and they've brought children in as their very own and just loved on them. I would love to be a church that does that, where we as a church see that need, and we meet that need, and we take in children that don't have homes, that, that, that are in, in despair, and it seems like their future uh, is gloomy. Uh, I'd love for us to be a church family that gets God's heart and does this very thing. So I was talking with a guy yesterday. Actually, my wife and I, we were out on evangelism yesterday. We were knocking on doors, and there was a, a, a young man, very rough-looking, tatted up from, from, uh, from head to – I couldn't see his toes, but he was, he was tatted up, had his cowboy's gear on, right? Uh, and we're talking to him. We're talking to him about the Lord, invite him to the church, ask if we can pray for him. And he says, yeah, just pray that I continue to be blessed. And and so I, I would kind of, you know, I, I went through the, used the, the bracelet here to kind of share the gospel a little bit. And, and my wife, I knew, I knew that I, I needed to go a little bit deeper with him because I, I felt like his answer was a little, uh, there, was, there, there was some deeper stuff that the Holy Spirit wanted to emphasize in his life. And so my wife asked him a question. He said, she said, do you, is, is there anything that, that you, that you're, any area that you're not free in that you feel like God really wants you to walk in freedom from? Something along those lines. And it, it, that question just opened the door for this really rough, tough guy to, to open up and share his heart. And he just shared how, um, how he is kind of stuck in the game right now as a drug dealer, a high-up drug dealer. You know? And my wife, is just, she's, she's just bold. You know? she's, just talk, she's speaking truth and boldness to this brother. And uh, he just began to open up how he, he doesn't want to live like that. He, he, would, he would gladly take a job if he could find one. 
But because of his, his record, he has a hard time finding it. And, and, and he knows he would have to take a lot lower pay and kind of start at the bottom. Right? <laughs> and, and so we, we reasoned with him. We talked with him. And we challenged his mindset, first of all, of what, what blessed looks like in this life. I said, you know, you know, you could be in prison and have nothing and have Jesus and be free and be blessed because Jesus is enough. I said, you could be on the other side of the world in a impoverished country where you have nothing and little resources, but have Jesus and you're blessed. And so we begin to push back on that mindset, that that mindset that was a worldly mindset versus a kingdom mindset. That said, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of God, right? And so we're reasoning, and, and then just talking to him about this, this, this idea of not trying to live like an orphan. We asked about his relationship with his father and so on, and, and just tried to minister to that father wound and just communicated how God is a good, gracious, loving father. And when we come to him and we trust him, he provides for us. He takes care of his children. He adopts us into his family. And so we don't have to think and live like orphans anymore. We don't have to, to withdraw and slavish fear anymore. See, we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 We've been given the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has poured out into our hearts the love of God. We're loved. You and I can't be any more loved than we are right now. God has chosen to set his love upon you even before you were born, before you did anything good or bad. So what makes you think you can make him love you more or less by what you do or what you don't do? Okay, so the Holy Spirit helps us to relate to God as Father. The Holy Spirit helps us by affirming our identity as God's children. The verse says in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There is power in that. When God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you and he tells you, you belong to me. When God bears witness to to the core of your being in your knower, you know who you are and whose you are. There's power in that. This This has brought healing and freedom to my life so that I don't have to live like an orphan. I remember years ago, I was a newer Christian, and uh, the pastor was preaching on salvation and what it means to be a Christian and a child of God. And, and I just could not help but weep. I mean, just tears were coming down my cheek, and inside, something was happening. I, I had no words to describe it till I read this passage. And the Spirit of God was bearing with my spirit affirming me as a son, as a child of God. And it, it brought healing. It brought freedom. There is a place of grace, a sweet spot that we can rest in in the family of God, a secure place where we're not striving to be something because we already are children of God. We're already in the family of God. And he, he works in us to affirm that in Romans Paul aims for Christians to have a very profound assurance about who they are and what they have and where they're going. 
Okay, you read this. The next half of Romans chapter 8, back to chapter 5. And there is a security and an assurance that as we really get Romans and as the Spirit of God massages the truth of the gospel into our hearts from the book of Romans, there will be this deep assurance and confidence that we can walk in as children of God. You know, there, there's something that changes in your life when you know that the most powerful person in the world is your daddy. The richest person in the world, the wisest person in the world, the most loving person in the world is your daddy. And you have access to him anytime, anytime you have a need. Think about a, a kid who's being bullied walking home from school and, 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 you know, who races to his house. And then when he gets to his house, because his dad's there, he gets on the front porch and all of a sudden he has some confidence to take on those bullies. And he's like, what's up? Come on, man. Come, step on over here, right? Come step on my, hey, dad. Hey, dad, I need your help real quick. There's this confidence and assurance that we can walk in. When we know God is our father and we know that we are his beloved children. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. There is this deep assurance and confidence that I believe God wants us to have. And I feel sorry for anybody who lives life without that. I pity the person who lives their life without this affirmation, this witness inside. Because you have peace with God. Because you're loved by God. You're forgiven by God. You have a secure place at his table forevermore. And if, if there's somebody like that in this place today, may you not leave this room until you're right with God and you have forgiveness and eternal life through trusting in his son, Jesus Christ receiving what he's done. He died for you and I, the son of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, just think about that. Let that sink in. Like God gave his beloved son, Jesus, who never sinned to die a terrible death for us, to go to the grave for us, to be resurrected so that you and I can be forgiven and our sins can be washed away and so that we can have resurrection life here and now and for eternity and get new bodies as well. And live in a world of perfect love and joy and peace. We can have everlasting life now. Beginning now when we believe in Jesus. And we become a son and a daughter through believing in Jesus. John 1, 12 and uh, uh, 13. It says, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become sons and daughters of God. Let me, let me just read that here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is glorious gospel truth. The fourth thing that the Holy Spirit helps us in is he helps us. He helps us by making known to us our inheritance. He not only tells us who we are and whose we are. And how it empowers us to make war on sin. But he tells us what we have as an inheritance. We are heirs of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, there is some meat in this. There is some, there's, this is a verse to chew on. I think if we really got this, it would change the way we live here in this life. 
If we if we're heirs of God, the God who owns everything. He's in charge of everything. And, 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 and we are co-heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with Christ. God's our daddy, and we have this great inheritance. I mean, just think about somebody in this world who has a parent, a, a father who's very rich, and that father dies. There's, there's a big inheritance coming to that child, right? You think, man, that guy's lucky, right? Right? We have something even greater. Jesus has died for us. The Son of God has died for us. For us, so that you and I can be and inherit the kingdom of God. So, what does this inheritance look like? Because I think we need to we need to describe it a little bit. Because for many of us, it's kind of abstract. Okay, inheritance. Yeah, I'll fly away. Oh glory, I'll fly away. Right. So it's like, yeah, sure, yeah. There's a good inheritance out there, but that don't pay the bills today, right? In our minds, you know, that's what we're thinking. Like, okay, what about now? What about now? What does that look like? First of all, I think that if we have this mindset that our inheritance is we get God now and then we get him for eternity. Now, that's that's the greatest inheritance I can think of. So what does this look like? I think it's at least three things. Uh, One is I think we get God, our inheritance. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 3. We get God himself. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. We get God. We get the world, a new world, a world that's where there's perfect love, joy, peace, justice. Okay, where there's no more cancer, no more hurricanes, taking folks out, taking homes out, no more tornadoes, flattening houses, right? We get a world that's going to be glorious and new bodies along with that. So 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 21 through 23 talks about that. And then Romans 8, 23 says, not only that we groan, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the spirit. We groan eagerly. Waiting for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And that's next week's message, so I won't get into that so much. But we have a glorious inheritance for us. We get God now. We get the Holy Spirit now to lead us and guide us now. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says, In him you, uh, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Romans 8 describes the spirit as the first fruit. We get the first fruits of the spirit. Uh, here in Ephesians 1.14, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee or the down payment. Okay, the, the down payment of our inheritance. He's a part. He's a part of. God is a part of our inheritance. But then there's, there is more awaiting for us. In the age to come. Okay? Until we acquire possession of it. Lastly, the Holy Spirit helps us by making intercession for us. And I don't have time to expound on this. And by the way, I feel very inadequate to try to unpack the depth of these truths that I'm talking about in Romans 8. Because there is beauty and a depth. I'm unable to completely unpack in this short period of time with my ability i god i need you should have started off with prayer romans 
eight twenty six and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches, and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let me just read some commentary on this. It says that the Father understands the Spirit's intercession for the saints, even though we do not hear it. We can know that His intercession is effective in securing God's help for us because the Spirit prays in harmony with God's will. Thus, God Himself, by the Spirit, comes to our aid whenever we need help. He also assures us in His Word that we will get assistance from the Father. The consequence of this promise should be that when we feel frustrated about our inability to pray about a particular need, we can relax. We can have confidence that our compassionate God understands just how we feel and what we want, and He will respond accordingly to His will. I think prayer is something that many Christians struggle with, struggle to do well, to be consistent in. And I think many of us can identify Uh, with the verse where it says, we do not know how to pray as we ought to. Has anybody else besides me ever felt that? I don't know how to pray in this particular circumstance right now. I don't know how to pray as I ought to. I know I should pray. And I should pray faithfully. And I should pray biblically. And I should pray fervently. Right? But... I don't know exactly what to ask for. I feel inadequate. I feel weak. You know what? That's okay. God knows that. He got your back. He got you covered. In, his, in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. It's manifested perfectly through our weakness. So He helps us in our weakness. He intercedes for us. We not only have Jesus interceding for us, as it says later on in Romans 8 in, in the book of Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25. We also have the Holy Spirit interceding for us. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. We're not alone in this. We don't have to figure it out ourselves. We don't, uh, we don't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. When we don't have the words to say, the prayers to pray, when we don't have the strength to go on, God carries us. He carries us. Many of us know the story of the, the, the poem of the footprints, right? Like there, there were, what, what happened when there's just, you know, one set of footprints? That's when I was carrying you. You couldn't do it, but I carried you. God graciously carries us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. And you have given us what we need in this life, to be who you've called us to be and to do what you've called us to do by the work of your Spirit. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us about those areas of our life that we have been operating with the mindset of orphans and renew our minds. May we hear your voice. Saints, could you just ask the Lord to speak to you? Just ask Him, God, what is your most pressing issue with me right now?
a lot of things that God could talk to us about, but what's the most pressing issue right now? What's the thing you want to put your finger on? What's the thing you want to help us with? What lies have we believed that you want to tear down that cause fear, frustration, anxiety? Would you come help us, Lord? Saints, know that you are not alone. That God is with you. He's for you. Know that you're his child and you have an inheritance and live in step with his spirit. If you want prayer, feel free to come up or you can raise your hand and we'll have some leaders come to you and pray for you.